In my conversation with Toby Poser, actress, producer, writer, director, the themes of family, the importance of finding your own creative voice, and celebrating all of the things that unite us as human beings shine through. She reminds us of the importance of storytelling, not just for entertainment, but for survival. And she extols the virtues of having fun in your life and work. She leaves us with this simple yet meaningful prayer or challenge. She says to us, you can find creativity in everything, even in the rising and the setting of the sun. What beautiful gifts Toby gives us. Thank you, Toby. Hello, and welcome to another installment of At The Podium with me, Patrick Huey. At The Podium is a platform where we will learn from people who come from different walks of life, careers, and experiences, but all share one thing in common. They have stepped fully into the transformative power of saying yes to the unexpected turns of their lives, and they are now using the power of their voice, or podium, to make an impact on the world we live in today. At the podium is the intersection of art, culture, and big thoughts wrapped up in good old-fashioned conversation. Today, I'm thrilled and humbled to share the podium with Toby Poser. Toby is a recognized actress, voiceover artist, filmmaker, and writer. After graduating from Tulane University in New Orleans, she moved to New York City and began acting in stage productions regionally and off-Broadway, including Mike Lee's Obi-Winning Ecstasy by The New Group. For three years, she filled the role of Guiding Light's wicked Malibu Madam Amanda Spalding, all the while acting in other TV classics like All of the Law and Orders, and in independent films like Sundance Darling's The Incredibly True Adventures of Two Girls in Love and Steal Me. Her voice has been heard on numerous national campaigns, including AT&T Wireless, and the iconic flow commercials for progressive auto insurance. Toby has been co-writer, director, producer, camera operator, and actor on all of Wonder Wheel Productions' award-winning feature films, which include Rumble Strips, Knucklejack, The Shoot, Halfway to Zen, The Deeper You Dig, and the now-released Hellbender. She lives in the Catskill Mountains of New York with her creative partners, husband John Adams and their daughters, Lulu and Zelda. Toby, welcome to At The Podium. <laughs> thank you, thank you, my beautiful friend Patrick. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy you're here today. I really am. Oh, the feeling is very mutual. I mean, my if my smile could break my computer, it probably would. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's just get right into it. I want to start from the beginning. How did we get here? I mean, did you always want to be an actress? And, and what created that love of creating within you? And who, who lit that artistic flame for you? Wow. I remember when I was in fifth grade, I went to this little girl's school in Baltimore, Maryland, and we were doing the Velveteen Rabbit, and I got to play the Nana. 
who was kind of the the villain of the, of the play. She was a little wicked and she was mean and I had a couple songs to, you know, screech out and I had this big pillow in me for a bust. I can remember sitting in the wings just mouthing everyone's words. I just I I couldn't contain the love I had for that feeling of being under the lights and performing for people and sharing the experience with the other kids around me. I don't think it ever went away. I think for a while I was intimidated by the idea of being an actor. And then when I hit 10th grade, I finally got up the gumption to audition at another school. I didn't make it. But here's the funny thing. When I ran into the uh, the director in the hall, he said, why did you miss rehearsal? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, didn't you see your name on the cast list? And I said, no. And he said, Toby Foster. And I said, that's not my name. He said, well, then you should have better handwriting. <laughs> <laughs> and he was my, men- my first mentor. From then on, I was stuck. And fast forward to uh, majoring in theater in college and then meeting you at Oklahoma Shakespeare Festival in 1991. And I moved Ooh. to the and it's you're, aging us. You're, you're aging us. You're aging us. No, it's beautiful. It's a great thing, right? <laughs> and it's something I've, I've always loved. I remember we did that summer together in Oklahoma. We actually met in Raleigh, North Carolina. I remember you were sitting on this round circular seat. Like those, those, I don't know if there's a proper name for those types of sofas. I don't know what they're called. But you were sitting there in a beautiful wine red colored leotard top and your hair was dyed electric blonde. I remember I walked in to this huge hall. We were at a a theater audition conference and I remember it felt like one of those moments in the movies when all the lights just turned and there was like Toby Poser sitting there and I was just drawn to you in that moment and I feel like we've had 30 plus years of me just being drawn to the energy that is Toby Poser. We clicked. I remember it perfectly. Uh, you too, your expression. Yeah. What a beautiful thing to reconnect by chance in Oklahoma, of all places. Well, what's interesting about you is that you're a very soulful, introspective, almost shy person. And yet you exude such magnetism when you're working on the stage or in front of the camera. Where is that space within you that allows that kind of you know, letting the bear out, so to speak? Well, thank you. First of all, I think that everyone is prismatic. I think we all carry a lot of qualities and and colors. It's just fun to look at life through different glasses. And fun is a big word here. I don't mean it flippantly. It is fun to be an actor. It is fun to play other people. It's fun if you're not an actor to tell a joke. It's fun to hear a joke. It's fun to tell stories. Stories make up the world. We got here because of stories we've heard and the stories we're making. I'd have to say that fun is just a really big part of it. I remember my first acting teacher in college, the first day of class, he said, why do you all want to be here? And everyone was trying to come up with these very intellectual questions about, you know, well, I, I want to tell, I, I, want, I want to have, I have a political statement I want to say through my work and through the work of playwrights and everyone would say this and that. And then finally he said, aren't you here because it's fun? Isn't it, a, are you having a good time? Doesn't everyone want to, you know, come into acting class and just break loose and have fun? And I thought, you know what? I've never forgotten that. And yeah, it is fun. And you can make a career off of, entertaining whether you're absorbing someone else's entertainment it, which is a beautiful gift 
or whether you're the person who's actually entertaining, someone's got to fill those shoes. And I'm so grateful I've been able to. On this show, we've talked to a lot of people who started off as actors and have transitioned into other careers or other parts of the business. How have you had that staying power over these many years to, to sort of keep that as your, as your guiding light? How have you been able to do that? Well, at times, at times I, I struggled. In, when I lived in New York, the first few years, I waited a lot of tables. I collected a lot of tips. But there was something even back then about the pure joy of doing something I loved that made it sustainable. In fact, some of my favorite things were done for nothing. I wasn't compensated. And they were experiences that are just burned inside my heart forever. Later, when I hit about 40 and I had moved to Los Angeles to try my hand there at, at the acting world in California, and I, my career had really waned. I started making films. So that was another way to sustain myself as an actor. I thought, you know, this is a platform for me to, to be that person who writes those roles that I want to see. And I get to act in them and I can cast myself. All the other stuff fell into place, but the, the original impetus was to sustain my acting career. And to do that, I just, I found my voice, so to speak, as a director, writer. Is that, is that how Wonder Wheels, Wonder Wheel Productions was born? Essentially, it started as something I created for my voiceover career, but I always knew that it could turn into something like a production company for plays or theater. It was a corporation, so I thought I can do whatever I want with this. And it started in 2004, but used it film-wise for the first time in 2010. If you guys haven't seen these movies, they're, they're, they're visually stunning. They're superbly performed. They really feature your husband, John your daughters, Zelda and Lulu. And it's really interesting to watch the body of work that you created because it's almost watching a theatrical repertory company because the four of you embody these different characters in these different circumstances. And it's so satisfying to me as an audience member to watch you all almost shape shift into these different characters. And I feel like it's almost like we're entering this very interior world of the four of you are you cognizant of that when you're creating the work? Was that an intentional focus of what you were doing? Or was that one of the sort of the unintended benefits of you guys working together? I'd say the comfort we have on screen is an ambient result of our just having eaten lunch together 20 minutes earlier, let's say. And it's a, it's a convenience. It's a convenience as well. But no, we don't set out to be our characters. It's more like there's something we want to say. We want to say something about families or the struggles, the universal struggles of life or as an adolescent or as a parent in general, that's what we're going for. But we do always want to refract familiarities through a different glass. Otherwise, it's not really fun. I mean, I'm not some from our first film, Rumble Strips. I'm not someone from Northern California who's grown marijuana and who's and went to is going to prison for it. Fortunately, I don't have a daughter who's been abducted and thrown into the afterlife. I'm not a hellbender. I don't have a, a parent who's had dementia. These are just stories we want to tell. And so since we are a family, we step into those roles. But the story is always our, our priority. And if we're comfortable, yeah, it's just an ambient, lucky, residual fact that we actually are family. You were just talking about the film, you, you guys are dealing with some really interesting subjects. And the, the situations are really complex and they, they can be really gritty and brutal. 
and and still quite beautiful because of the sort of cinematography that, that you guys create in these worlds. And your kids are a part of the process. How do you explain these concepts? And they were young kids when they started. How did you and John navigate that? Explaining these concepts, protecting them, and then your producers. So there's still things need to be hit. It's such a good question. And no one out of uh, 11, 12 years of making films together, no one has ever asked that question. Our kids were six and 11 when we started in 2010. And um, I don't want to say other families don't do this too. So I don't want to call us atypical, but we're very open with our kids. We're protective in the way you can be protective of your kids by also being extremely open with them. There's something to be said about um, not concealing the things you want to, to protect them from. Um, oh. So we're very vocal. If there's something in a film that we think they were too young for, we certainly wouldn't shoot with them around. For instance, if there's a, in, the, in rumble strips when they were really long, young, the end of the film, I, I have a rifle. Of course, we didn't shoot that when, when they were around. And there's there are magical tricks you can do in film so that it can seem like someone's there, but of course they're not. But I would say most of the time we're transparent. We don't have many secrets. We're comfortable with our kids, telling them about things that we're afraid of for us or for them. So over the years, we just people, you know, some people think that it's bizarre that our kids even call us by our names. It just shows you what kind of family we are. We're very close. We don't really um, we don't care for uh, definitions like my, our kids can call us Toby and John if they want to. We trust them enough to know. Hey, I want to call my kids what uh, my neighbor calls my mom. And so that's just, just who we are. We've just been very open about what we're shooting, why we're shooting it. And if there was something we didn't think they could understand, we didn't shoot around them. Now they're 17 and 20. Lou's almost 23. Zelda's almost 18. So now Zelda's co-director and co-writer. Now she comes to us with some pretty gritty ideas. But it's evolved over the years how much how comfortable we are explaining what we're doing. But I would say from the get-go, we were pretty comfortable with everything. Let's talk about that because I remember we had dinner in Miami and you and John had made the decision that you were going to homeschool Zelda and Lulu. And you were in an RV and you were driving. You went through, I think you went through every state in the union and you were scouting locations you were shooting you were educating your children i mean before covid no one could even imagine that so at that point you were being quite revolutionary what was that decision process like and what, what did you and john learn from that oh wow well yeah and you know it's funny we did that 10 years later that we did that again shooting hellbender we also got another uh RV and we traveled to shoot a lot of Hellbender as well because the first time around in 2010 and 11, we learned for, we learned the ropes of making a film on that trip. Not only the kids who were six and 11, but John and I who were in our early 40s, we were learning too. So we were learning right next to each other, which is a beautiful thing to do with your family. So we learned together that you can create and you can live in tandem, which is a really neat notion. I highly recommend everyone try it. <laughs> and uh, we also learned a lot about America this time around too. This time we were traveling during the pandemic. We were self you know, contained in, in a trailer. So it wasn't so unlike living in a house. But the same thing 
from the 10 years ago to this last year, you learned so much about America. Maybe you feel the same way with all the traveling you do. You learn so much about different cultures by, by breathing in them, talking to the people and realizing that there's a lot that divides us, but there's also an incredibly rich world of what connects us. And I am a bit of an optimist. When you travel around, you realize we all love our kids or we love our partners or we love being alone or we're lonely or we want people to be nice to us when we're in line at the grocery store. There's so much that that binds us. It's easy to get caught in what separates us. But when we're traveling around and we're visitors in places that are not ours, you really learn, I think, that there's there's a grace to sharing space and um, and sharing the resources around us. So for me, it's, it's a humbling experience when you travel around um, the country, besides the fact that this, this country is so beautiful. There's so much to see. And we all... We all live in it and we share, you know, we wake up to the same sunrise and go to bed after the same sunsets. So, yeah. It's important for people to travel because you, you, you have to breathe new air. Yeah. What was the perspective of the girls as they were on these major journeys throughout the country? What was that? What was their perspective on that? I'm pretty sure they would say they've loved it. Something that's neat is when little kids are traveling around, especially staying in RV parks, you're, they're around a lot of older people. And there's something really wonderful about spending time in an intergenerational atmosphere. Um, I think it's great when kids can be sitting in a pool with octogenarians from Florida or Minnesota, you know, there's so much that they learned from them. There's, I'm sure there's stuff that the octogenarians learn from the 10 year old. Yeah. I think they've, they've had fun. I think they appreciate that. They've, they've seen lots of things often. They can look at a picture or a TV show or a movie and say, Hey, I think that's a, I think those are the Tetons or, Hey, that looks like the Northwest coast. And remember when we ate crickets in Texas or, you know, it's, it's a gift for us that we've been able to do it together. And it's wonderful that they've been gung-ho from the get-go. And I think it's a gift for them. It's not a traditional way that kids tend to be raised, right? But I still feel like there you gave them those elements. I know Zelda is quite the soccer player. And she's played on teams here in, in Topanga Canyon. And I know that that was a really important part of her life. So you were really able to balance this really expansive life experience with the day-to-day beauty of the mundane that kids need also. So thank you. You know, I think that there's, we've reached this beautiful symbiosis where we're able to live uh, where we create art and we're able to create art where we live, whether it's at home in our backyard or whether we're on the road. It's something that is going to linger beyond the films that we've made. I like to think of our memories as negatives you know, how a film has a negative and it's sort of like we have the film that we project onto a screen and, or through digital, you know, uh, magic, but then we have the negatives that linger in our hearts forever. Um, you know, how sometimes when you're looking through an old album and you see those little negatives and you have to look close at them and they're, and it's like, oh yeah, I think that's when I was at the beach with my mom and dad and my brother when we were seven and we got stung by jellyfish. 
you remember those things. And that's what the memories are for us. They're these kind of ghosts, memory negatives that just live within us. I, I feel very grateful for that. Where did that impetus come from? Was your, was your mom like that with you and your brother? It's such a great question. My mom was a wonderful storyteller. I, I was influenced by my mom for the sheer joy she had from telling stories, telling memories, always through rose-colored glasses, you know, my mom. But she was yeah. like, she always had rose-colored glasses. My dad worked very, very, very hard. You know, we would see him at dinners and on vacations, we got to hang with my dad. I, I would say he loved my becoming an actress because it made him feel like he was in touch with something creative. I think his life was very structured and not creative. I mean, you can find creativity in, ev- in everything. He was a, uh, uh, he ran a clothing business. So there's something creative about picking out clothes and imagining what your uh, buyers will want. But No, I think a lot of it had to do with just being with John, who's also an extremely artistic, creative person. You know, when we got together and with John's missing the gene that says no, he doesn't have the gene that says no. That's a good combination for getting on the road and making a film just because you want to. I want to unpack so much here. Talk about talk about an energy on the planet that is your husband. Yeah, you know, John is, he's just, he's just kind of a wild thing. He really doesn't have the gene that says he can't do something. If he has something in his craw, he's, he's going to do it. And that's a good partner to have um, when you're a thinker like me, because between my overthinking everything and his impulsiveness, you know, that that's a good recipe for getting something done. He's, yeah, he's a great painter. He's a good carpenter. He's a really talented musician. He's also a really good actor. He didn't grow up acting, but he's so good at it. Yeah, he is. I, I honestly, I am one lucky woman. <laughs> he's a phenomenal dad and partner. I love those videos that you guys shoot. Like they're like distilled down your movies into these really beautiful music videos. But you guys write the music. Zelda performs it. She's playing the drums. You're singing. It's like this beautiful expression of of this creative impulse that all four of you share. It's so much fun. Let me tell you what a typical night for us is like, Patrick. So last night, Zelda was doing homework and John said, hey, you want to sing? So I said, sure. So we had a great dinner. Then we went upstairs and he's he showed me three new songs he's working on. And then he said, so let's, you know, why don't you lay some vocals down? on this part and this part and that part and give me a harmony here. It is so much fun. Some people have game night. We make music and movies. It is a ball. And and we did it and, and it feels, it's wonderful. I never knew I'd be in a band. It, it's a gift. And I like to think that when you know you have a gift, you, you're going to, you're going to use it and celebrate it. And, that, and we try to every day of our lives. I want to go back to your mom for a minute. There's a beautiful moment, and it's 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 a it's a hilarious moment in the movie. Actually, when you guys are are breaking out the dad from the the care facility, and you got to waltz with your mother in that movie, it took my breath away when I saw that. Just knowing who you, the two people are in real life, and that moment that you got to share with her on the screen. She's no longer with us. I just thought it was very beautiful. I wanted to remark that to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that's going to make me misty. 
Yeah, my wonderful mother. It was so much fun working with her on that film and in The Deeper You Dig, too. She yep. just was a pleasure. You know, my mom directed a lot of plays when she was she was a teacher in her 20s and 30s. And uh, I think she enjoyed it so much. And having that experience with her and, and being able to put that film on and, and watch her is, wow. I mean, talk about a, it's... It, it's sort of a living photo album. And then again, the memory of doing it with her is just so crisply in my heart. It's fun. We, you know, we, we cast a lot of people we know if they're the right person for the job, we cast them because part of, it's not just the product. It's not just the end um, result of the films we make. We really do making them is equally important. And, and casting people we love and who are right for the role, but people we love and who can work in our wild, wily ways, crazy ways, um, is equally important. What does that mean for you to own your own words and your own content and create the vision? So much of acting is not owning that. It's taking someone else's vision and having to exist within that framework. What is that like for you? You know, there's something wonderful about sharing the authorship. Traditionally, films, I mean, films are pretty much all collaborations. I think we're just a minor anomaly because we're a family, but there's something about sharing the authorship of it that's phenomenal because we support each other. We succeed and fail together. We learn together. And there's something about having um, your vision out there, but that you each create. It's funny, we're, we're individuals but we really are a team when it comes to how we make our, our films. And it's just really, really cool. I, I don't know how to compare it to, to anything because it is this strange crossover between living. It's, it's sort of like, you know how when you go on vacation, families go on, on vacation and, and, and they have those memories. We've just kind of turned our art into a vacation and our vacation into an art. We really have when you when you boil it down to basics. It feels it feels amazing. I, I feel very lucky to have done this over six or seven features now, and maybe a short thrown in there. And there's something to be said too about being a woman my age, creating roles that I want to see out there. I tend not to play very glamorous roles. In fact, the rawer my character can be, the better. You know, I'm not your typical very skinny glamorous actor not nothing no judgment there but I kind of love playing very real looking people and that's something I've been able to do that I'm very proud of putting out there is uh women like mine mothers you know people who or just humans in general humans struggle it's hard to be a human and so there's something that feels very good about writing the kind of roles showcasing the kind of universal struggles that exist in, in the world you know you and I come from an acting world but um, there's something to be said about working with so many great directors and then being able to direct is, is, is a wonderful just turn of events. I can think of it. I can call together all the wonderful things I got from the great directors I worked with in theater and film uh, and television. And now as a director, I can boil those down until I find my own little diamond that comes out of it, you know, mm. and uh, that's that's a wonderful gift as well. You said something really interesting about the physical demands that are placed a lot on more on women to look a certain way and be a certain type of physical body type. 
for many years, you, you played the role of soap star. You were Amanda Spaulding on America's most iconic daytime soap, The Guiding Light. How did you navigate that? Because as you said, you, you're, you're different than what we would have traditionally seen in a soap opera. How did you navigate that for yourself and not just completely break down under that pressure? I think my first year when I was on the soap, I had, I had gained weight from the time I had been cast and started with the show. And they took me aside and they said, we want, you know, you need to lose weight. And I felt like my job was really, um, you know, hanging in the balance and that was very humbling. It, it was hard. I wanted that acting job and I did lose that weight. And then I think there was, there were times over the years that I really continued to struggle with the idea that I needed to be a certain kind of person to get work. And that's not cool. You know, I, I even thinking about it kind of riles me up. I, I, I resent that. I understand that there are certain demands placed certain characters that need to be played and need a certain way need you need to look a certain way and if you know you need to be fit literally if, if you're doing something a very athletic role I understand that but I think I struggled with my identity as an actress for several years and and even when I got into voiceovers I kind of shunned I was I was almost happy if I didn't have a lot of uh, acting work because I thought oh I just don't have to worry about what I'm eating or, or when I go on audition, if I, if, if my pants look tight, I mean, that's something that I didn't appreciate. And, and when I became, when I started making my own films, going back to what I said before, I kind of let that go. And I thought, but I had the, I had the reins now I had the, I had control of the kind of women I wanted to cast and the women I wanted to play. And so I used, I definitely felt like I was in a position where I could cast women who did just look like women. It doesn't mean that people who aren't beautiful and super svelte aren't women. They're wonderful. And, and I felt like it wasn't until I was creating my own roles for women that I really let go of the idea that I or other women had to look a certain way. And that's why I think that it's important to have it's not, I'm not saying that male uh, directors are only going to cast super skinny women, but I think it's important to have a collage of directors out there, including a lot of people who identify as female. And I think, I think you're going to have a greater diversity of roles that come out. And I like that I and Zelda are two of those people. Mm. I, I, remember, I remember that time when we were living in New York and that was, that was happening with the show. I also remember, it's it's funny because I think you, at that point, you were coming into people's lives every day in their homes. And and, and Amanda wasn't always doing very nice things at that point in the show. But talk about the sense of ownership that people felt towards you because you were in their lives every day. I think it's very unique, particularly in the daytime soap world, because you were literally in people's homes every day. It's it's fun. Again, I have to go back to things. It's it's fun being an actor, being on a soap, especially a juicy role like Amanda Spalding was really fun. I would be on the soap on the subway sometimes and people would get really upset with me because they could only saw me as Amanda. They would say, you leave that Ross alone. You know, he's with he's with Blake. And he's not yours. And okay, I promise I'll leave him alone. <laughs> Except for when the script tells me I'm not going to. Um, 
it was really fun. You know, being on a soap opera is being is, is really being part of a family. And the guiding light people, the guiding light folks, the cast and the crew were just delights. I mean, wow. Sometimes I feel like I don't know. Uh, I, I want to say I don't I don't necessarily believe in another life afterlife, but I sometimes feel like I must have done something right in another life to have gotten a gig like that. It was just beautiful. You just said something that I, I love this theme of family that keeps recurring through what you talk about and that, and that sense of family and belonging that's important to you and your work. Yeah. Yeah. In our newest film to hellbender, which um, is a supernatural horror film the it's actually, do you know what the Ouroboros is? You know, the snake that eats its tail and it's just basically a sign of eternity and nature and consumption. And I absolutely, I'm enamored of, of that um, image, the Ouroboros, everything kind of consuming itself and regeneration and cycles. And yeah, families, families are, are, are like that. And if you're lucky, you get to have many different cycles within the life of one family, the things you do, the people you lose, but then the people you gain. Family is really important. And the people who come back, right? Yeah. For, for Wonder Wheel Productions, you have Hellbender coming out. You have Lulu, who is on a, a world tour essentially right now, and, and Zelda's getting ready for college. What is the next incarnation for Wonder Girl Productions? Where do we go from here? Ah, well, yeah, we just had a world premiere for Hellbender at uh, Fantasia Film Festival in Montreal. It went super well, and it's already been picked up by Shudder, which is a really cool platform, kind of like Netflix, but for genre films. But this would be a a Shudder classic, a Shudder original film, um, because they're kind of distributed as well. And Yellow Veil Pictures was the group that... Uh, got us, you know, guided us towards Shutter. So we're with a really wonderful team of people to, who are cultivating the film's life after its premieres. We go to Texas next, to Austin for its U.S. premiere, Fantastic Fest, which is wonderful. It's going to be at some festivals in Europe, and then it'll be released in early 2002. But in the meantime, we are, of course, already conjuring up our next film. Also within uh the supernatural horror genre, because that scene is so wonderful. Our first four films were dramas, but the horror scene, that that community is just, there's nothing like it. There's a loyalty and an acceptance and an openness there. And it's just rich for imagination. And behind horror, you know, to me, the best horror is steeped in, in love and fears we have just because we're, we're humans and we we have a lot of, you know, life is precarious. So we're going to stick with that genre and we're already coming up with our newest, which is going to be a 1930s piece about a traveling family on the dying vaudeville circuit. Yes. Toby. <laughs> Okay, we're gonna leave it there. Toby, I wanna I wanna thank you so much for your time today and your willingness to share your voice and wisdom with us. I'm beyond grateful for you. Patrick, I'm beyond grateful to you and your team. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you very, very much. Remember to go to wonderwillproductions.com to check out information on their on their company. You can watch their films there as well. And to those of you who are watching and listening, remember we all have a voice. 
use yours wisely. Thank you.